So we're facing at an angle. How do you want to do this? Or like we're all right. Yep. Angled. So we're kind of looking at each other, but also at the camera. Yeah. No, I think we're good. Actually, we're good. We're good with the way we are. Good. Okay. All right. We're live. We're at day two of uh, the Monero Conference in Denver. Uh, a little rough this morning after uh, quite the house party last night. How are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling actually awake because after the party, I got a lot of sleep. So I'm actually wide awake today. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's kind of the best sleep I've gotten yeah, since yeah, I've been here. Sound. Yeah, in good, in good condition. Yes. So yesterday you gave the last talk. Uh, unfortunately, we had to leave a little early because we had to get ready for the party. But I know it was on spam mitigation yes. in Monero and I guess in cryptocurrency in general, kind of making the comparisons comparisons between the coins and mm -hmm. I guess how it's treated in each? Yes, that is correct. I mean, I'm looking primarily uh, when you are, you know, how can you attack a chain? What are the risks and some of the comparables in that and what can be done in Monero? Monero is actually quite ahead of everybody else. I, I remember one of the comments saying everybody else is at zero and we're at one out of ten, which is actually fairly accurate. And that's also very accurate in this field. Why, why is it ahead? Is it just due to the architecture of Monero versus some of the other coins? Well, a couple of things. I mean, the, the first reason is we actually have a scalable block size, which balances very nicely uh, the need to actually scale the blockchain with the need to prevent spam attacks. Um, and so we avoid things that what Bitcoin is having with a one megabyte block limit. They've actually been attacked, in fact, with a small block size. Um, so we avoid that kind of thing. At the same time, there seems to be a lot of effort uh, put into additional mitigation measures, in particular uh, minimum fees. Now, recently, we added a second layer um, median um, at 100,000 blocks, or 50,000 to actually uh, move the, the uh, block size. So there's a really nice balance between the need to allow for growth in the blockchain, while at the same time also allowing for... Um, to prevent the spam attacks or make them pricey and expensive. So that's the idea. So that's really the, the balance you need to meet when you're kind of designing uh, against spam attacks. That is correct. The trade -off. So what exactly are the trade-offs? Well, I mean, to give you an example of, of an extreme situation, I mean, if we look at Bitcoin in, in uh, 2010, I mean, the solution to spam was let's, let's cap the block size of, of the megabyte. What has actually happened? Well, what's happened is that essentially Bitcoin can no longer be used effectively as a transactional currency. Fees are too high. And ironically, the, the approach that was taken actually makes it profitable to spam um, it, because of the size of the block is so small. It, there's a certain circumstances that people can actually attack the chain to cause fees to go up, and that's cost-effective to the spammer. So you have I mean, a, the, the miner is almost incentivized to do so. Oh, the miners are incentivized. Right. If you in, in the Bitcoin case, if you have like a, a, about one, let's say you have more of the hash rate than the free space in the blocks, you actually have an incentive to spam. There's actually an incentive there, and that's why we've seen these floods of um, spam attacks in Bitcoin. Uh, all of a sudden, you get the surge in, in transactions. I think it was 50,000, 200,000 trans transactions at one point. This is the, exactly the reason. So the, 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 it's actually profitable to do that. There's an incentive. And one of the key things about it is to recognizing spam in any coin is, is there an incentive? For example, if we go back to Monero, the, one of the major concerns that there was is recently is this big bang attack. But in reality, the, that is in itself isn't, isn't the biggest thing. But once you incentivize it, for example, with the possibility of another attack, like you can do the anonymize or something like that, then all of a sudden, even if that attack is being mitigated, at least it's an incentive for that. And, and that's the key in, in understanding. So coins have been attacked if there's a motive. And that motive has to be there. And typically, it's financial. Maybe sometimes uh, some types of attack. It was to exploit a vulnerability. That can happen. I mean, that happened in Monero in 2014. I mean, 
the someone discovered a vulnerability, you need it to increase the block size to a certain size, and then you turn around and say, okay, to exploit this, and then and then they spammed it in order to cause it to get to so they could do the exploited vulnerability. And the whole thing was patched like five years ago. But, but my point is it was it was one of the reasons that got Monero initially to put in a, a minimum transaction fee, which is enforced by the nodes. Mm -hmm. So it's a minimum relay fee is what it is, essentially. Like a node won't relay a transaction unless it meets this minimum fee. And interestingly, some other coins have done the same thing. Uh, Litecoin has done that. Bitcoin Cash has done that. And Bitcoin yeah, who who handles spam really well? Is there any? Is it, well, is honestly, it... if I was going to say who actually is the best at it, it's Monero. And hands down, I mean, we are ahead of everybody else. So are, are there going to be um, upcoming changes in how that's done? Is this a continuously evolving yes, process? Yes. Well, anything in Monero at this point is continuously evolving. So if a threat is identified, a potential threat is identified, then what's going to happen is the community is going to respond and we're going to look at things. I mean, one of the things that people are talking about right now in a lot of the talks is to increase the uh, mixing. I mean, this this came out of um, uh, Brandon's talk it was, it was a recommendation. I mentioned that. Um, this, again, it's a good way to mitigate against certain attacks, uh, especially if you worry about de-anonymization de or attacks that try to de-anonymize uh, the mixings. So that's a common example of, of something that will be done. Can you tweak fees? Probably, very likely. So I think there there is an evolving situation to optimize. We're ahead of the, of the game, but we, we have a way to go. Uh do some people kind of not believe in? I mean, how, how do you define spam, right? So it's it's a uh, network no, that's being really used. So I, I think some people almost say spam. There's no such thing as spam, right? It's if you're using the network and you want to use it, it's then there's obviously some some use to you using it. Uh, well, that's a good question. How do you define it? And in a, in a privacy coin where you don't even get even detected, that's even more interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting question. Um, one can look at what the intent is. Is it malicious in some way to try to prevent other people or frustrate other people from using the network or take away features that are you know, desirable in the network that could be seen. It could be seen as something adversarial. Um, I mean, I guess think of, if you think of email and you encrypt everything, we all know, we have a rough idea what spam is in email. Mm -hmm. Now just encrypt everything. Well, you still have the same definition. I mean, that could be a way to look at it. So, so in like in in Monero or Bitcoin, spam would kind of be anything where you're not using it for purposes of actually making transactions, or like how would you? Well, I mean, that would be one definition, and the definition is trying to exploit or attack the coin in a way. For example, trying to prevent people from using it, or try to exploit a vulnerability. Those can can be considered a a, a spam. Uh, I mean, for example, um, a good example in, uh, in well, a good example will be what was done in uh, in uh, Monero in, in 2014, where it was tried, it was done to exploit a vulnerability. Another example I would say is was, was happening was happening in Bitcoin, where people uh, see it attracted to push spam into the network just to increase fees for everybody else. Mm -hmm. So the intent the intent of the of of the transactions is not to transact. In a particular way, it is actually to uh, increase fees. Now, I wouldn't, strictly speaking, call something I say counterparty on Bitcoin spam. That's not. They're trying to do something constructive, and they're using Bitcoin to do that. But when you say, for example, where you're, you're sending transactions on the Bitcoin network with the purpose of causing everybody to pay more money, well, that will be a reasonable definition. But it's a tough one. I mean, I, I, I it's a gray area in some cases. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not as simple as it sounds. It was a good question. Yeah. 
So, so what else are you working on? Um, obviously, you're kind of the guru in the space in terms of, of you know, looking at uh, analyzing the chain for things like spam and how it should be, what the architecture should be to fight against it. Uh, what are some of the other things you, you, you think about when you're looking at Monero? Well, when I look at Monero, primarily what I work on is the scaling aspects. That's fees, block size, um, changes in block size. How do we optimize that? That's been the area focused on from the point of view of recommendations for the, for the actual coin. Of course, the other side of my involvement in the Monero project is being a member of the core team, which actually has nothing to do with this mm-hmm. because it's, totally, it's a non-core team function. Um, to do that, there are members of the core team that do different things outside of their role in the core. What's team. a non-core core team function? The anything outside of the stewardship aspect of the core team. Okay. So if you're doing interviews, for example, or if you're a good example, would be what uh, Ricardo Fluffy Pony does. I mean, he does the uh, uh, the maintain the maintainer on, on on the code and and so on. That kind of role is not a core team role. But, you know, the people that do coding, Luigi does a lot of coding, for example. This kind of thing mm-hmm. is not um, it's not actually a core team role. So the core team has sort of very specific uh, responsibilities as far as stewardship, primarily, of the project. That's primarily what we do. Mm-hmm. And that's out, this is totally separate from the other. So it's mm-hmm. important to make that distinction because anybody could be doing this. A lot of people are contributing mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways. It's not necessarily a, a function of the core team. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it's important to make that distinction. Yeah, can you explain that a little further? So, like, what, so well, what? So then, what is the function of a, of the stewards? Well, for example, there's certain things that you have to sort of um, keep on the stewardship. A good example would be things like domain names, or websites. There's we're a decentralized cryptocurrency, but we are interacting in some respects with the centralized world. And there's certain things that you have to sort of bridge in there. Mm-hmm. And that would be a good example of what a, uh, of what the core team does. Mm-hmm. About so dynamic block size in particular, I always found that to be kind of an interesting uh, and unique part of Monero. Uh, have we seen that in action yet? Are we? Ha- has it kind of? Is it being used? Dy- is it dynamically functioning yet, or, or is it kind of static in its in its use? Have we actually seen the dynamic block size work as intended? Oh yes, I mean there were two examples. I mean the first example was right in, in 2014 when the coin, the coin was found, and we saw the whole thing work as design. It's happened, you know, we went to 400,000 bytes. Uh, it worked exactly as designed, uh, and it had that nice feature that, and then you you know the the, the blocks grow. The, the latest implementation, maybe a while before that's tested, um, because you basically have to go up to um, 15. Uh, megabytes to put it to the test, so that's going to take some time. Um, the I would expect that the long-term medians change would occur once you know. Again, you need a certain amount of time, and the blocks have to be over three hundred thousand for basically fifty thousand blocks, mm-hmm. and then you see a change in the long-term median. But definitely, we've seen that uh, operational. Um, How's Monero used today in terms of you know usage and? Uh... What are the statistics look like? Um, do you mean as far as transaction rates? We're a bit lower than some of our competitors, uh, to be honest. I mean, one of the reasons is that Monero has a totally different code base from Bitcoin. And I think it's harder for exchanges and for, um, well, certain private providers, e-commerce providers to actually implement Monero. I mean, it's, it's not as implementing something I say Bitcoin Cash, for example. Where you just got the same code base essentially as Monero as uh, Bitcoin or, or Dash, for example, is another good example of that. And it's relatively easy to implement, especially if you don't implement any. In, if you've got a, a, a coin such as Dash or Zcash, you don't implement any of the privacy features. Mm-hmm. 
which most exchanges, for example, and, and payment processes don't do. Then you have something that basically behaves like Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So from a, a creating infrastructure, that's been a bit of a hurdle for us in the sense that you have to... Um, you have to look at the fact that, you know, if somebody is implementing on Monero, they have to really new as a new code base for them. So there is a bit of a, it's mm -hmm. been a bit of a hurdle for us. It's, it's not as, as what it was like say two to three years, of course. It means mm -hmm. a lot more knowledge of it. But yeah, I would say that's an amateur. So proportionally, you know, the amount of transaction level, they actually get compared to comparable coins. We're actually a bit behind mm -hmm. in, in that respect. So how about not compared to other coins, but just Monero itself in terms of the life of Monero? I mean, our, our, Oh, are we uh, on a trend up? Has there been a dip down? Has well, there... we've been on a trend up, fundamentally, uh, much from the break. In some ways, I think the market tends not to follow exactly. It kind of decides on its own point when when it's going to say that Monero has done what it thinks it needs to do. You know, I mean, a good example is 2016, a historical example. There was phenomenal work done by um, Howard True on the on the database. And this was finally put into the main code chain. Uh, everybody was using it in the community, but 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 it was actually went into the sort of the, the release uh, tags uh, right on New Year's Eve in 2015. And it was done totally quietly. It's a classic. And, and then what happened in 2016 is the, the, the prices skyrocketed, both in respect to Bitcoin and with respect to USD. So... But the work had already been happening like a year and a half of you in the process that led to this. So it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a delay, I think, and 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 us doing improvements and suddenly the market decided to do something about it. Yes, yeah, that's, that's one of the, I guess, final question I want to ask you. I normally don't even ask this question, but in terms of price, more so, uh, why do you think Monero, at least it's my opinion, that there doesn't really seem to be a, a, a clear match between um, uh you know, uh, Monero's abilities and uh, versus uh, how the market is seeing it. I mean, it's what I don't even know where it is in coin market cap. Uh, it's like maybe 10 or 11. I don't, I don't even know. But why? Why isn't it number two? Why isn't it number three? What's where? Where's the mismatch there between uh, reality uh, when you look at these technologies and the fact that Monero actually is digital cash? Uh, and it's kind of fulfilling these goals. Why isn't the market realizing that? Markets are not as efficient as people think they are. And that would be my opinion on that one. We're actually 13th in coin market cap right now. Um, and, and I think the main reason is, is, is the question of efficiency of the market. The market doesn't necessarily see what's happening behind the scenes until it actually comes on, becomes knowledgeable. I, I That's common and very asset, lots of assets. Uh, it's called uh, uh, the, the efficient market theory. Well, Technical um, traders will look at the assume efficiency in the market. Fundamental traders or investors, they will take the point of view the market is inefficient, and so they'll look for inefficiencies and see that as an opportunity. Uh, and and I, I just think that the answer to your question is, is the market is just not efficient. Mm -hmm. Is that very? Yeah, simple? I mean, Monero in particular though seems to have a big imbalance. Maybe it's just because of the also the pure open source nature of it. There's kind of so it's more difficult for that information to get out there. There's no like marketing arm. There's no well, the, the, this is actually very true. I mean, we don't really put a lot of effort into marketing. Uh, the, the approach has worked for Monero and worked in the past is let's make the coin better. That's what we put our resources into it. We're not into, and I don't want to mention the coin, but I mean, this, this is stories of one coin where they had a, a conference and they had uh, a booth at the conference and they hired a hooker yeah. <laughs> to stand there at the booth and the conference organizers told them to 
need to take this away. I mean, you know, this kind of stuff, well, in the short term, you're going to get, you're right. going to get some results in the long term. No. Right. So the cream will slowly rise to the top. Exactly. Exactly. I guess. Uh, so one final question. So we're here in Denver. It's the first Monero conference. Mm -hmm. You've been in this space or in Monero from the, from the beginning, we can say, how, how do you feel about Monero today and its growth and where we're at? Well, it's actually in scary. terms of the community and it's actually scary. I mean, you, you, if you're realistic, if you look at say the market opinion, you, you have a thousand times. It went from a coin with a market cap of about 1.4 million to about 1.9 billion. Uh, in a period of uh, four years, we've seen a massive growth in the community. We've seen phenomenal improvements in the code base that people don't even realize. I mean, you know, we, when we inherited essentially the fork from Bitcoin, uh, there's just so much work, so much improvement. It's, not even, it's a totally different coin from what it was in, in 2014. I mean, and, and I mean, at one point in Monero, just to give you an example, and going back to... Uh, you needed like nine gigabytes of RAM used to store the blockchain because the whole blockchain had to be stored in RAM. I mean, that was fixed in, in 2015. People, that, you know, you you need like, like if you had did this today, you wouldn't be able, you need a computer with about 70, 60 gigs of RAM. Well, because, you know, so, I mean, these kind of things. I mean, we look at ring confidential transactions. We look at the increase in the mixing. We look at all the refinements that are being done with block size. We look at it on and on and on. I mean, and, and so there's so many improvements. And yet, you know, you sort of, it kind of an evolutionary kind of thing. So, yeah, the changes have been phenomenal. This conference, of course, has been really good because you got a lot of very good speakers. Um, I learned a lot. I got a lot of ideas. A lot of people got a lot of ideas and then can be put back into, into improving the coin and into, into, into development. Uh, it's a great network and opportunity. You meet with people that you, you interact with them online, but it's very good to have a person-to-person -person interaction with somebody. And that's really powerful. Yeah. So this is like a major milestone for Monero. Yes, it is. Absolutely. But a major milestone on a host of other major milestones. And I think, it, like we were saying, and here, right, you don't hear anybody talking about price. Everybody's just talking about the technology. And it's it's pretty amazing considering this is a conference. If you go to any of these other crypto conferences, it's it's like 80% about the price and things like that here. It's really just focusing on the tech. A lot of it, it's even self-skeptical, right? So when a lot of the talks were even kind of looking at Monero in a critical way, right? To try to figure out what our shortcomings are and things like that, which you don't really see in other communities. Well, that's very critical because that's how you improve. I mean, you have to identify the problems. You have to identify breaking Monero. You have to look at, okay, is this attack viable? What is the risk? What are you going to do about it? Uh, is, how can we make it better? And that's really what it's about. And you worry about the price later. <laughs> Let the market sort that out. All right. Thank you, Arctic Mine. That was awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you.